This podcast was produced on the lands of the Bunurong, Wurundjeri and Gadigal peoples of the Kulin and Eora nations. The Pierce Project wishes to acknowledge them as the traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome to Peers, a podcast by BIPOC founders for BIPOC founders. I'm Michelle Akidnor, proud biracial Australian and Forbes 30 Under 30 lister, and I'm your host and fellow peer. Join me for soul-enriching conversations with like-minded young BIPOC entrepreneurs from around the globe. Each week, I dive deep into the personal journey of my award-winning guests and unpack who they really are at their core and how they got started in business. With every episode, my mission is to empower you, expand what you think is possible, and hopefully make you feel less alone as a person of colour in business. Thank you so much for being here, peers. Hey, peers, and welcome back to the podcast. I don't know if you fellow BIPOC folks feel me, but growing up as a young person of colour in the 2000s, for me, it really meant that I didn't see many people that looked like me in the media, in magazines, and beyond. You know, I remember in my teens, I would read Cosmopolitan or the latest Dolly magazine only to notice that the models in there and the beauty products that were advertised just weren't for me. You know, there was no one in these magazines that had my skin tone or that looked like me at all. And you know what? I remember feeling so disheartened by this. I remember wondering and thinking if any of these products were even made for me or if I was considered in that process. And I think that's why the conversation I had with today's guest really hit home. This week, I'm chatting with fellow BIPOC founder and Forbes 30 Under 30 lister, Janvi Shah. Janvi is the co-founder of Hue, a tech company that helps beauty and fashion brands integrate user-generated content into their e-commerce sites to help shoppers feel represented. I personally connect with John V's mission to change the face of e-commerce and online shopping so that it's not just a transaction, but an empowering journey that celebrates each and every customer's uniqueness, BIPOC or otherwise. And in our chat, John V talks about the pressure of succeeding as a child of immigrants. Again, something I relate to. Finding your unique selling point and why giving your dream a shot, no matter who you are or where you're from, is always worth the risk. Before we dive in, I would love if you could please hit follow and subscribe so that you do not miss an episode. It means the absolute world to me, those of you who choose to listen in, and I hope these conversations resonate with you as much as they do me. Also, if you aren't already, please do follow us over on Instagram. We're at The Peers Project. 
Okay, peers, without further ado, take a listen. My name is John V. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Hue. We're an e-commerce technology company. And what we do is we're on a mission to actually help every shopper feel represented in the shopping journey. How we do that is that we work with brands primarily right now within the beauty space, but also in fashion and and other categories to integrate user-generated video content onto their e-commerce site from a diverse community of real people. So across different skin tones, skin types, ages, all elements of diversity, basically, so that when you're shopping, you can see someone real like you trying the product and see how it works for someone like yourself. So that's our whole mission and what we do and work with a number of different brands. We have about 18 brands that we're partnered with right now. And I'm sure we'll dig into kind of how we got started, but that's a little bit of an overview. Oh, it's so cool, John V. Honestly, I just feel like listening to you and just that diversity lens, it's just so important and it's just so cool to see. And I can't wait to dive deeper into your work. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I just love so much because I think it gets right to the core of who we are as people and as entrepreneurs. So that one is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? So I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, so in the heart of Silicon Valley, and I'm the daughter of immigrants. So my parents immigrated to the United States in the 80s when they were going to grad school from India. So I think my whole life has been very much shaped by kind of like the idea of the American dream, right? Like being first generation kind of immigrant and your parents coming here to make their own better life. And especially coming to Silicon Valley, which is the heart of entrepreneurship in America. My dad is actually an entrepreneur. He started his business when I was three, four years old, still running it to this day. And so I really grew up in that environment where seeing my dad take that leap and risk to start his own company and, you know, fulfill his dream. That's what really inspired me to want to do that one day as well. Oh, I love that. I feel like our parents and what they do and where they grew up has such an impact on us. And I think it's something that we may not even, at least for myself, you know, I'm heading into my 30s and I just feel like now I'm really starting to understand and a lot of those things is starting to land for me. You know, for you growing up with immigrant parents and yourself and, you know, just kind of you trying to understand the world around you as well as maybe reconcile these two different cultures. How was that for you? And I guess, was there ever a moment where you just thought, I actually just don't even know where I fit in? Did that ever come up for you? Yes. I mean, it definitely did. And I think it's interesting because when you immigrate to a new country, you have to deal with a lot of like conflicting identities and, you know, who are you and what are you trying to do? And I think for my family, a lot of it was how can we be most successful in America, right? And kind of integrating into the American culture. So for example, growing up, we used to celebrate like Christmas and Thanksgiving and like all of the American holidays, right? Actually, even more so than we celebrated like Indian holidays, like Diwali or anything like that. And I think part of that was just kind of assimilating right into this culture. And I was lucky in that coming to the Bay Area, it's a pretty diverse place. But even growing up, I mean, I had 
friends who were white, who were Asian, who were black, like it was very diverse, but figuring out how you fit in and all of that is quite challenging. And I think something that really impacted me and why I kind of got into this like beauty space and representation within beauty is that growing up too, there was not really a lot of representation of people like me within the media. I mean, you played with like Barbies and American Girl dolls and like good luck if um, any of them looked anything like you. So really not seeing a lot of that. And what really actually changed that for me was kind of in high school and college when YouTube and Instagram and the whole like beauty influencers started to become a thing. What was great about that was that there were a lot more diverse people who were getting out in front of a camera, getting an audience like Jackie Ina, kind of within the beauty space or Deepika uh, Mutiala, who now works on Live Tinted, just having people that I could relate to really kind of transformed how I thought about myself and my own beauty and what was considered beautiful. So that's a lot of kind of what has motivated me to want to work in this space. I just resonate with that so, so much. And I think, you know, that representation is just so important, but we didn't have it growing up, you know, in the 90s. There wasn't many that looked like us out there. So I so identify with that. You mentioned earlier that your dad was also an entrepreneur and that played a role. What was the greatest lesson that your parents taught you? And at what point do you think that you were able to really have those lessons land for you? Yeah, I think it's similar to what you were saying, which is that a lot of it has only landed now that I kind of see how I've grown and what I've learned from them and how I operate kind of as an individual and an entrepreneur. I'm an only child, so I really am super, super close with my parents. And so I took, you know, different lessons from each of them, I would say. From my dad, I think a lot of it was just around perseverance and like belief in yourself because he really came to this country with pretty much nothing but the clothes on his back, essentially. And he went through a lot of challenges when it came to like starting his business and getting it off of the ground and even just taking that risk with very little financial security. I think you have to have such a faith essentially in yourself that like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make it work, whatever challenges kind of come my way. And just having like a positive attitude essentially throughout all of that. Like, I don't think when I was growing up, I ever even really perceived how difficult that was. Like to me, it was just normal. Like, oh, my dad has his business and he's working really hard every day. He comes home and he's still like on the phone and working. Like that was just normal to me, if that makes sense. And I think that has driven my work ethic as well of like, if this is a dream of yours, you're going to do what you need to do to make that a reality. I think also for my mom, so my mom also worked full time. She was actually kind of the breadwinner while my dad was like taking the risks to kind of go do his business. She was a research scientist. She still is um, to this day, works in biotech. And I think that really impacted me. And I, again, didn't realize that until now later in life that having a female role model in my mom who was showing me how to be kind of a strong working woman in a male-dominated field and still balance all the responsibilities of being, you know, a great mother. Now, as I go forward and kind of enter that sort of phase of my life, I feel so grateful that I had that role model, right? So I can see that it's possible. I mean, it's not easy to balance all of those things, but I wouldn't feel guilty being an entrepreneur and also potentially being a mother and knowing that I took so much from my mom and even seeing kind of how hardworking she was really impacted me in a positive way that it is like possible to balance those things. So those are some of the lessons I took from them. Oh, your parents sound amazing, honestly, like so good. I want to talk a little bit about 
potentially the pressure you may have felt. You know, I feel so connected to your story, strangely, because I feel like it's really similar to mine in some ways. And I'm sure our peers out there listening who also have immigrant parents and are also kind of first gen, you know, feel connected to it. But I think something that's coming up for me is this idea of pressure and pressure to perform and to kind of push, push, push. And actually, funnily enough, and we get nice and real on this pod, but, you know, I was in my therapy session last week and we were talking about this push that for some reason, even now, even with all the accolades and all the fun things that come when you finally get there in business, you never feel like you've arrived. Still, you feel the need to, or I feel the need to push and just like not stop. And it's something that I'm personally reevaluating as I kind of head into my 30s. But I guess, have you ever felt that given your parents' history and the way you grew up and things like that? And if so, how did you navigate through that? It's interesting because I feel that it was never like an external pressure. It's more of like an internal pressure and like a sense of having a standard of excellence or like a standard of I want to always achieve the best or do the best that I can. It's also like a bit in Hindu like culture and religion is kind of like doing your duty or like karma and like doing your duty and doing your best is kind of your obligation essentially in life. I just feel that it wasn't like something where oh, my parents were like pressuring me to like perform a certain way. It was actually never really like that for me. It was more, I knew that they wanted me to be successful and wanted me to achieve and that this is my values essentially that I want to do the best that I can. And I think it's interesting and I totally relate to the idea that you never feel like you've landed. I don't feel that way at all. If anything, I feel that the stakes get higher and higher, right? Because when you're starting a business and you're just starting out, it's just you and your co-founders and you have like some ideas and you're trying to test it and it feels high stakes, but actually the stakes are lower once you start raising funding and you have a team, like other people's like lives and livelihoods are on the line with what you're doing. And so I do feel that the pressure <laughs> intensifies essentially. But I think it's important. I think this is why many entrepreneurs have like really almost like athlete-like practices, right? Of doing their exercise, like getting enough sleep, like eating well, like because you have to maintain that right sense of balance and it is very like demanding mentally. So that's something that we talk about a lot as just founders in general. What's been the greatest lesson that bringing on a team, raising money and all of that has taught you? I think, and this is going to sound super cheesy, but it's all about the people. I truly believe that. So I feel so lucky to have met my co-founders, Nicole and Sylvan, who we met in business school. We actually come from pretty different backgrounds. Sylvan's also daughter of immigrants, but she's Chinese American. Nicole is Black American. And, you know, we really though shared like a lot of values and that's what has led us to really stick together and be a very cohesive team. And I just, I'm grateful every day for them and the fact that we're all in this together. And I literally can't imagine doing this without having them by my side. So yeah, it's, I think having that amazing team is just like the foundation of it all. Even before starting my own business, I worked at Google and I was very fortunate to be on some amazing teams. And I'm still friends with a lot of those people that I worked with for many years out there. So just having the people around you And even from the investor standpoint, it's incredibly important because your investors are going to be with you for the life of the company. And so you want to feel confident that they're also value aligned. And again, we've been very fortunate to find those type of people in our corner. And that kind of informs how I go forward in terms of what I prioritize, like hiring, make sure you spend a lot of time getting the right people around the table 
when you're speaking with investors and fundraising, there's no point in kind of trying to twist someone's arm to back you. You want to kind of bring the people around the table who are already excited about what you're doing. So that's really kind of changed my perspective and how I approach things. Oh my gosh, how cool is your team of co-founders? Have you guys ever had that reception as you head into rooms to pitch? And, you know, what has that been like being a team of power women who are, you know, all diverse? What's that been like for you? And has there ever been a moment or a point where it's been like a downfall or you've been kind of not as embraced as you should have? It's so interesting because it literally is like we are the face of our company. There's this one photo that we always use of the three of us where we're all wearing the same shade of lipstick, but on different skin tones. And when you think about Hugh, I think a lot of people just really kind of think about the three of us. And it's interesting. Yeah, I think in general, it's been an amazing asset because we are, I'm so proud of us and to have this like amazing team around the table. And people say, you know, at the early stages, you invest in the team right? More than the idea. And I think that has taken us far. Like we have tech background, we have the beauty background, we all went to HBS. Like we have just like that incredible resume. So that's helped us so much to get into the right rooms, to get others around the table. And I think a lot of people also resonate so much with the mission of what we're doing and our own story. So that's enabled us to get amazing advisors like around the table who either resonate with that personally or they want to support diverse entrepreneurs and they want to be a part of like backing those kinds of companies. That being said, like, of course, the research just goes to show, I don't know if you've read, you know, a lot of the research out there about women entrepreneurs and how they are perceived relative to men. And actually there's a professor at HBS who does a lot of research on this. Her name is Laura Huang and I would highly recommend everyone check out her research, but it's like the same exact pitch said by a woman versus a man is perceived very differently. And the questions that women get asked by investors are very different. They're more about how will this potentially go wrong rather than what is like the potential of the business. So I think for us, we're very conscious of those biases and they're implicit biases, right? Regardless of whether someone intends for it to be that way. So we know that it's not always coming from a mal-intended place, but you still have to be conscious of it and actively kind of fight against that. There's actually another recommendation I have is there's a whole series from a group called All Raise, which does a lot of content around female founders, female investors. And they have like an amazing panel of investors and founders who are speaking about how to fundraise as a woman and what you really need to be conscious of and like thinking about. So I think it's like a free course online and I highly recommend it to any founder, but... I think for us, like we generally see our backgrounds as just a huge advantage because we were able to see a gap in the market that others who typically get backed were not able to see that like, hey, people are struggling with this experience of shopping and especially in the beauty and fashion spaces. And another entrepreneur who comes from a different background might not have been able to see that opportunity. So that's our like competitive edge, right? It's all about where can you find that gap in your competitive edge? And it's definitely there because we understand the consumer so well. How can we get better at turning the things that potentially could be seen as downfalls into our competitive edge? For me, it's been a lot about like thinking creatively about that, right? I think it starts with your own internal mindset. I think it's easy to get bogged down, like knowing all the research and knowing like what happens, that can be very overwhelming, right? And you can wallow in that a little bit. But it's like, what can I do creatively? Or how can I like take action to take advantage of every strength or weakness, right? There's always two sides of the coin. So there's definitely ways that you can transform that. I think also finding your 
supporters and your allies has been really important for me in my career. Some of my most amazing mentors and sponsors have been white men who have been my bosses. And for example, my old boss from Google, when I left Google, he was like, hey, call me when you're starting your business. I want to be the first check into your business. And so he was one of our first angel investors. And I'm so grateful for that, right? Because having people in your corner who can actively help to you know, combat some of those either stereotypes or biases can really make a difference. So finding kind of those creative ways. And I think that's also what motivates the three of us quite a bit is that we can be an example for other people like us who are trying to take this path. And so even if we can inspire like one or two people to go for it, that's a success in our books. I'm literally blown away. It's just absolutely such a success and you guys are doing it. And I think that's what's so interesting about this journey. I think sometimes we place such expectations, or I should say myself, but I'm sure many of our peers out there listening may feel this way. We place such expectations on, I've got to perform in this way, or, you know, the business needs to do this. But it's funny, it's like sometimes just us doing it in any way is actually inspiring to people. We may not even know it. You know, for our peers out there listening who are at a place where potentially they're just not sure if they should take the leap. You know, maybe they're sitting in their version of Google and they're just like, you know, I feel like there's more, but it is scary out there and the stats are against me. And, you know, what if I go for it and like literally fall flat on my face? What are my parents going to say? Or what are my friends going to say? You know, what advice would you give to those of us who are navigating that? Should I take the leap or not? You don't want to have kind of like regrets, I think, later in life that like, hey, I never went for that. I never like just gave my dream a shot. And I think that's how I felt. Yeah, there's risk. And I will say that comes from a place of privilege. Like not everyone can afford to take the risk. So I'm I'm not going to say that everybody, you know, must or should. It's a very personal decision whether you have, you know, the financial means to do it. I think that's a huge element, especially for entrepreneurs. But if that's not the biggest consideration and it's more about kind of what will other people think, I'm like, just, just go for it. And I think a lot of people that we speak with are, they admire that you've even taken that risk because so many people do aspire to do it and then they never end up doing it. And if I'm kind of trying to hire someone, like if they actually tried to start a business and like went through the trenches, like they have so many lessons learned that others, you know, may not, it's like such a learning curve that I think you can speak towards that experience, even if it doesn't work out, you have so much that you can share about what you learned from it that you might not have gotten exposure to otherwise. But get the right people around you, not only just the people from a business perspective, but also your friends, your partner, like all of those elements you have to think about and and try to get that support network behind you. Such valuable advice. I want to dive a bit into the business. So into Hugh. Let's talk about firstly the transition from Google to Hue and then the last, what the last two and a half years have been. So where did the decision to quit your job at Google? I mean, you were there for five years, you know, doing really well, product manager, all that good stuff. And you just decided to take the leap. Where did that decision come from and why did you decide to do that? And then what were the first few steps that you took to really get Hue going? Honestly, given my background and how I grew up, I always wanted to potentially kind of start my own thing one day. It was just a matter of finding an area that I felt really passionate about that I could make a dent in and and really make a difference. And I even saw Google as kind of just a training ground that I could learn a lot from really smart people, learn about many different elements of business from like the product, the engineering, the marketing so that I could have these skills so that when I wanted to start my own thing, I could actually like go do that. So it was always kind of in my mind personally. And 
a couple of things happened. One is that I was constantly thinking about what are some problems that I face as a consumer and kept coming up time and time again. Like every time I have to shop for a foundation or a lipstick, I'm like, why isn't this better? There's a lot of technology out there now. Like why hasn't that kind of like come to the beauty space? And this is just frustrating me. So that was the one kind of like trigger. Um, I think I was talking about it for like years with like my now husband. He was like, okay, you got to just take the leap and do something about this. And then the second thing was I decided to apply to business school. And part of that decision was kind of like, hey, let me mitigate some risk when it comes to starting a business. If I go to school, at least if it doesn't work out, I got a great degree and I'm sure I'll have the ability to get a job after. And just having kind of some structured environment where I knew I was going to like meet other people who were interested in starting companies. That was my version of like kind of hedging the bet a little bit. But I like came into business school with the really initial ideas for Hugh and the intention that, hey, I'm going to use these two years, take advantage of all the like startup programs, all the grants, everything, and like focus on taking these two years to try to make this work. And so that's how we actually got started. I met my co-founders, Sylvan and Nicole, in my first semester in school. We actually met in kind of an interesting way. It was like during COVID. So everything was virtual. And we were on a call that was with the founder of Tatcha, which is a skincare brand. And I was just trying to learn about the beauty industry because I knew that I had mostly the tech background, but didn't have a lot of the industry background. And Nicole actually raised her hand to ask a question of the founder. And she raised her hand and she said, I'm Nicole. I worked at L'Oreal for six years and I'm interested in entrepreneurship. And then she asked some question. I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. So I literally DM'd her Slack and was like, hey, I heard your question. Thought it was great. Like, I would love to get your feedback on some of these ideas that I'm thinking about. And we like met up for coffee and I told her all about what I was thinking. And she's like, this is amazing. This is such a problem from the brand's perspective, not only from the consumer perspective. She wasn't actually thinking about starting a company. She was trying to pivot from beauty to tech, actually. And so it's a funny story because I kind of like pulled her back into beauty. But we have a beautiful blend of the beauty and the tech side. That's how we met. And then we met Sylvan through this startup bootcamp program that we did. And she was also working on another idea in the beauty space and then decided to kind of join us. And she comes from a tech background too. So I think what I learned from all of that was, hey, you kind of putting yourself into the right rooms, right? How do you like create luck and opportunity? I think about that a lot. I've gotten very lucky with building Hue, but also I've been very intentional about I'm going to you know, get into these spaces, get in front of these people so that I can make that happen for myself. Jumvi, this has just been so, so insightful and so, so great to chat with you. I really appreciate your authenticity in this and just you sharing openly. And so I guess I've got a couple of final questions as we start to enter the close of today's episode. And the first one is we often don't talk about something that I like to call the dark side of business. And I think with social media, everything seems so glossy and so beautiful and, oh, and then you started and then you had serendipity and then you found your co-founders and then, and then, and then, but, you know, business is really tough. What has been your experience with that? And has being a person of color, do you think made it tougher for you? Yes. I tell people this all the time. Like it's so hard to even answer the question of how's it going with you? I'm like, what do you even want me to say? There's like the ups, the highest highs and the lowest lows, right? That happen. And I think a lot of it has been learning how to modulate those ups and downs because even within 
a single day, you might be like, oh, we're closing a new deal with a new, you know, amazing partner. And then it's like, oh, something is totally like going wrong on something else. And that's like tough, right? To mentally kind of handle. And in a normal job, you have ups and downs, but they're not so extreme. So just kind of like learning how to handle that and those like dark side, as you said. I think mental health is like so important. Actually, something that we do as founders is every week we do a mental health check-in. We actually have a like tracker for it because we're very type A. It's like mental, physical health tracker essentially because we realize that we track everything else in our business, right? We track our revenue, we track our operations, but we don't track how we're doing personally. And that has been honestly such a game changer. My co-founder Sylvan basically you know, came up with it and having that level of rigor of, hey, every week we're going to have a conversation and simply say, are we like red, yellow, green? on like how we're feeling this week, what gave us energy this week, what drained our energy this week. I think that self-awareness has made it so much easier to kind of be reflective and figure out what is draining me and how can I like make that easier for myself. And seeing those patterns over time, it also helps you realize that, okay, there's down moments, but there's so many up moments and the down moments in retrospect are not as bad as you think they are in the moment. Everything usually resolves, even if it sounds horrible in the, in the moment. So I think being able to go back and look at that and have that even documented somewhere has been just so helpful. But I know you said how it's being a person of color kind of like influenced that. I think it's not something mental health, right? It's not something that's often spoken about in people of our background. I think it's becoming a lot more prevalent. And yeah, I'm grateful that we within our company have this like very open, transparent discussion about it. Like no one should feel that just because they're not doing well that week, that they're not good at their job. We're here to support each other because if we don't get each other into that good space, then our business is nothing without the people. Such valuable advice. Oh, look, Dumby, over the last two and a half years since you started out your business, you've really gone from strength to strength, you and your co-founders, I should say, you know, in amongst all of the challenges and, you know, the dark moments, there've also been a lot of those up moments, as you mentioned, and you've received a lot of recognition for your work. And most notably, you were featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. What are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? Maybe I can summarize because I think I've kind of hit on a few of my key points in our conversation. Number one would be just go for it. Anything where you're maybe like doubting yourself, just take that extra leap, right? Push into that area that you're a little bit uncomfortable because when you're in that uncomfortable area, right, that's where you're growing. So if something you feel that like resistance that like, hey, this is a little uncomfortable for me. I just remember that's a good sign, right? We are in like an area of growth. So I think just push into those areas, take those little steps every day to get the right people in your corner, get people around you. People want to help you. There will be people out there who aren't as like friendly or don't want to help. That's okay. But by and large, people want to be helpful. So just ask for help and like get that help. Yeah, I think take care of yourself, right? As we talked about mental health, it's so important. Make sure you're sleeping enough. Make sure you are valuing your relationships, right? I think there's too many entrepreneurs where other things in your life get kind of thrown to the side because you're like really pouring yourself in your business. It is hard. It's it's not for the faint of heart, but be intentional as much as possible about that. And I think kind of going back to what I said about my parents, my mom, like they were just such good role models of that, of balancing all of that. And that's what I kind of like aspire to do for myself and my family going forward. Oh, love it. Look, Jambi, 
This has been amazing. Before I've asked you the final question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us amazing young BIPOC women and founders and entrepreneurs that if we have that vision, that goal and that dream, even though it may seem really tough and the odds are stacked against us, it is something that we can do and we can achieve it as long as we persist, take care of ourselves and take care of ourselves during the process. And for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Of course. So the final question is how we finish every episode of Peers. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I think the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about is really doing justice to yourself, right? And your dreams and making sure that you are not living life with regrets, right? And being able to do what you've always like hoped and dreamed and taking that like leap of faith, even if it doesn't work out for all the success we've had so far, there's no guarantee that it will work, right? And we're still kind of going there. But I think no matter what happens, you just value that journey that you went along the way. And yeah, I think that's the value of it. Oh, Jumpy, it's been so awesome to have you here today. Oh my goodness, I've absolutely loved it. Where can we learn more about you and Hugh? Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me for this very open and great conversation. And I hope folks get value out of it. And yes, you can find us at poweredbyhugh.com or poweredbyhugh on Instagram. Please give us a follow. We love to showcase just tons of BIPOC creators and people in our community and, and amazing brands as well. So that's where you can find me and reach me. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again, Jamvi. It's been so, so awesome. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Peers. If you're liking what we're doing here and resonate with our mission of amplifying BIPOC founder stories, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Also, head over to our Instagram and follow us. We're at the Peers Project. And you can connect with me personally on LinkedIn and Insta. I'm at Mish Echidinal. I adore you oh so very much, Peers. Until next time.